As I begin this morning, we're going to talk about being aware, being beware of liars and cheaters. Speaking of game day. No, just kidding. Anyway. <laughs> Probably the two worst things you could be accused of as a kid was to be a liar or a cheater. Right? We all remember those days, and some of us are there. For young people, their sense of justice and right and wrong does need a little tempering. Uh, sometimes what they say is truth is the more their perspective. Adults do that too. But accusations of liar and cheater can be launched pretty quickly sometimes, especially if the game gets heated, right? Or if, again, we don't think that someone's saying something just right. Lying can have some serious consequences, even for children. Hurt feelings, broken friendships, falsely harming someone else's reputation. Plus, a young person faces all kinds of problems acting on false information, right? If you're a kid, some kid tells you one thing and you think that's what you're supposed to do. Like, no, the quiz is Wednesday and it's really Tuesday and today's Monday. And so you don't study for Tuesday. Someone, like, lied to you purposefully to hurt you, right? That's a problem. All kinds of bad things happen when someone cheats. Game pieces go flying. Kids take their ball and go home. Shouting matches and fights break out and trust is broken. It happens. If a child's reputation for lying or cheating gets really bad, there can be bigger consequences for them. Other kids change how they talk with them. Sometimes they won't even talk with them at all. Or for cheaters, no one wants to play a game with them. You become isolated, right? So students might fail a test for cheating in school, but when adults cheat, they might lose their job or their spouse, or go to prison, right? So the consequences are a little higher sometimes for adults. But the whole point is this, as we just think about this whole idea of liars and cheaters, we don't want to be called that. So it's not something that I think Paul was tossing around lightly. Today we're going to talk about liars and cheaters when it comes to the truth of God and his word. We will see that false teaching is a very real threat, both inside and outside of the church. Today what I want to do is I want to have an overview of what the New Testament says about false teaching while keeping us anchored in our Colossians text. What we need to understand is that Paul was speaking to people who already knew, they already had the basic knowledge of the situation in real time, right? We don't. We have to go back and try to figure out what was Paul specifically speaking about, and we can only do that to a certain degree. But that's what we're going to be doing today. Um, I began with this introduction partly because I, I do want our young people to understand that I think that this is a specific message, even though it's going to be an overview, that I think can be very helpful to you. But I don't want to lose you adults. Um, it's important for all of us to be listening to this. But I really believe that there is a fight that's going on. You know, um, there's always that generational thing, you know, you had it better than me or you had it worse than me. And, man, the challenges that I had as a kid, you don't understand. Look, I, I, I'm a product of the 70s and 80s, <laughs> for what that's worth. But, yeah, there was humanism in our schools. Um, evolution was taught, all those different things. But what it comes down to today is that there is an onslaught for truth that is happening at a scale that we have never seen before in this country. Um, there's less to stand against it. I'm not saying that we don't have parents in a church. I'm, I'm just talking about in society. And so I, I want to recognize for you young people today, you are living in a difficult time. But God has you living in that difficult time. And he has a purpose for you. And so I think that that's important for us to understand. But, it's, but it's, it's important for us to acknowledge. It really is. So as we move forward and we think of this idea of false teaching, um, 
you know, we also have to think of those who are going to be the, the most susceptible. And so I just want you to be thinking with me and working with me here, guys. I know sometimes you might think to yourself, oh, man, does that relate to me? I, I, I just want you to, to really try to stick with me this morning, young people, because uh, I think there's some important things we're going to be looking at. We've read Colossians chapter 2, and so uh, what I want to do is look at false teaching uh, and realizing that it is a reality. False teaching is a reality. And what I want to do is I just want to allow Scripture again to let us know what's the perspective here. Um, it's vast, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I first want to look at the warnings that Jesus gave to us. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, and it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? This, this basically is the context where he's talking about good and bad trees and what they produce, and it has to do with false teaching, right? But what I want us to see here is that this is talking about ravenous wolves. Um, some of you probably already know this, uh, I, what I'm going to share with you, but I, I, I like you know, creation. Meg and I are bird watchers. We like to go out and do things. We've even seen a wolf or two out in, in, in the, the wild, but not in attack mode. But I just looked up some things about wolves and how they hunt. Um, they're not evil creatures. They're hungry. They just happen to go after those that can't defend themselves well. All right. But here's my point. This is what we are having compared to false teaching by Jesus himself. First of all, they attack the young, the weak, and the unsuspecting. Even a healthy musk ox, for example. If during a chase, if one of those stumbles and falls, they become the most vulnerable. You see where I'm going? Wolves pursue, they outrun or outlast their prey. Wolves kill their prey first by weakening it. They will bite at their prey, disable it, and then go in for the kill. Now, I know this is a little graphic, but for smaller prey, they will grab it by the throat and break its neck. That, folks, is the picture that Jesus gives us of a false teacher. The philosophy of the world today wants to grab you by the throat and choke you off. Understand that. It is not complacent. It is not neutral. It is hostile. And it's after every one of us. And the scripture tells us that the prince and power of the air, Satan himself, is behind that. Jesus also said, and he answered them and said to them, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Do we see that today? We do. False Christ. As Jesus was um, in the boat with the disciples after the feeding, the second feed, feeding miracle, uh, he's talking with them, and they don't understand something that he's saying. And so we're picking this up where he's explaining to them what he told them. How is it that you not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven, okay, the influence, just like yeast is to dough, of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine, the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The doctrine of the Pharisees, what was that? Highly, um, uh, what I'm looking for, legalistic, right? Letter of the law, all kinds of rules. The Sadducees, very secular. Not really spiritual in nature. They were the more of the secular Jews. And so we see both sides of this that Jesus warns his disciples about. We find similar warnings in Mark and Luke. Warnings 
of the New Testament authors are also very prevalent. Nearly every New Testament book at least acknowledges false teaching. At least acknowledges it. Some deal with it extensively. Um, I want you to just make a note of 2 Peter 2 and then the very short book of Jude. They talk extensively about false teachers. Some of the warnings that we have are related to the encroachment of Judaism because that was a reality during the New Testament times. Uh, others address the pagan religions of the Gentiles. And again, I would just like to go through a couple of verses here. Romans chapter 16. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Galatians 1, 6 and 7. I marvel, I'm amazed, Paul says to the Galatians, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Okay? They want to twist it. They want to change it. They want to make it something different than what it is. Hebrews 13, 9. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So again, there's a little bit of an allusion here to Judaism. But what is the greater truth here? There's all kinds of strange things out there. Don't get caught up in these things. Jesus says that they're preying on you. P-R-E-Y, just to be clear. And then we have a couple of verses that are sadly kind of the after effect of false doctrine as Jesus addresses the churches in the book of Revelation. But I have a few things against you talking to the church in Pergamos. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. By the way, we're not going to explain this today. I want you to see the doctrine, not what that doctrine actually is. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. This is Jesus talking. You're allowing teaching to go on that I hate. And then he speaks to the church in Thyatira. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So as we consider what we're talking about here, false teaching is not just a reality in the, in the scriptures, but everything that we have here is given to us to be able to battle what's going on now. It's still an ever-present reality that right where the gospel is, there is Satan trying to tamp it down, trying to change it, trying to twist it, or trying to immobilize those of us that God has called into his family. It's not neutral. So as we think about these false teachers... I did mention that we're going to stay anchored to our, uh, to our text here. I want to look at the marks of false teaching, and we see this outlined. And as I mentioned, this is going to be an overview. We're going to treat these 10 verses more carefully in the near future. But what I want us to see is, if you remember I said, we talked about uh, Colossians 1, and now what we're going to do is we're going to really look at, okay, what's going on here? And then see how that's developed through the rest of the book. But first off, again, a bigger picture look. Marks of false teaching. Uh, we're looking at verses um, 4 and 8 here. Now this I say, lest anyone should uh, deceive you with per, 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 sorry, persuasive words. Another word in my head that I couldn't get out. And then verse 8. Be aware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. This idea of deception, and we, we know this, but it means to mislead or to trick. Folks, 
false teachers don't play by the rules, right? Again, they're not looking for your good. And since you probably have an idea of what the good is, they have to try to change how you perceive it. So it's going to be deception. It's going to be a lie. But chances are, it's going to look good. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, actually right now, because the next thing is they do that through persuasive words, convincing speech or a fine sounding argument. That's literally what that means. So let me give you a quick story. I was a youth pastor a number of years ago, many, many years ago, and uh, I'm teaching my young people and I'm saying, now look, guys, I want you to understand something. I don't expect you to trust everything I'm going to say. You need to check up on what I'm saying. You need to read the Bible for yourself. You need to be aware of what's going on. We actually had a series. We, we, I called it the Mind Series. And it was really teaching them how to think. I don't, want, I don't want to teach people what to think. I want to help teach them how to think. Right? That's what's going to help you. And so as I'm talking to my young people, I said, because, you know, people can do all kinds of stuff, Right? And, and, and they can say anything, and you got to be careful. So I, I, I'm, I'm not making this up. I literally just turned to a page in the Bible, put my finger on it, and start and read it. Like I read one or two verses. And then I started just going off on what that meant. I'm giving an illustration of what not to do and how somebody can just... I had two kids sitting out there go, really, that's what that says? I mean, they didn't even understand that I was, I was trying to help them understand not to think this way, right? And they got caught up in, because I was, I was kind of using some, you know, cool language or whatever and like something really insightful. And they're like, wow, that's what that means? And I was like, wait a minute, that's not, you know. So the point is, it's easy. It's easy to fall into. There's a deception there. Remember, remember, the wolf goes after the weak. The wolf goes after the young. The wolf goes after the vulnerable. All right? Persuasive words. Maybe even a nice wardrobe. Maybe even a nice smile that goes along with it, right? Nice hair. I don't have any of that, right? I especially don't have hair, okay? So, so my point is, you know, sometimes they come in different ways, and by different means, but it's deceptive. It's designed to get a message across to you that isn't good for you, that goes against Scripture. And then we see that it's a philosophy. Human reasoning and wisdom is behind this. It's not coming from God, and we'll see that in just a minute. But let's examine the phrases related to this idea of philosophy. First of all, it's empty deceit. We see that word used again. It's a, it's a direct description of the philosophy itself, that it's empty. Another way of saying this is that it's, mean, it's a meaningless lie. There's no real basis for it in truth. Now, I didn't say that there might not be some truth mixed in with it. But when you just take the philosophy boldface for what it says, it's not going to do anything for you. It's empty. So there's no benefit to following this philosophy. It was a hollow, worthless way of thinking. That is what someone is trying to sell us when they're trying to, to give us false doctrine, false teaching. Another way it's labeled, an aspect of it is the traditions of men. This philosophy has merely compiled human thought, but those who held it almost certainly thought they had superior knowledge. That's the idea here. That they had something that nobody else had. And they needed to share it with the world, or at least you. Right? They have, they have an extra revelation. Does that sound familiar with the Book of Mormon? They have a better understanding of Scripture. So, as Jehovah's Witness, they're going to tell you that Jesus is not God. Because that's not really what the Bible means. See where we're going? And then it says that they are basic worldly principles. Rather than being deeper and insightful, Paul refers to these as simple or elementary. Now, kids, 
I'm not going to pick on you here, but I'm going to use this example. We have elementary students here. We call it elementary school because we are learning the basics. And that's good. That's fine. That's exactly where you should be. But these people who have this elementary thought process, what they're basically saying is this. It would be like an elementary student saying, I just finished school this year and I'm thinking about um, uh, basically starting a career or my own business. Right? So maybe we have a third or fourth grader here. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think I'm ready for brain surgery. Right? You know, that, that's really what we're saying. I have this secret knowledge. I have something that nobody else has. It makes me superior. And therefore, based upon what I'm thinking, I'm better. I have something better for you, better than what you have. Right? Bait and switch. Paul says, it's child's play. That's really the kind of reasoning it is. Now, when we kind of switch in our minds and go back to the, to the previous chapter, and we see the amazing richness of our faith, we see what Jesus did for us. We see the great God that we serve in Colossians 1. No wonder Paul can say with authority, they can say what they want, but we're in elementary school here. This is not special knowledge. This is the basic things of the world. The basic things. That's all they got. The other thing that we see is that it's not of Christ. It had no relationship with Christ or the gospel. Yet many times, Satan's entire purpose and false teaching is to convince us of a counterfeit Christ and a counterfeit gospel. That's his goal. So what Paul is describing here that the Colossians are dealing with is some kind of hybrid religion that comes from multiple sources. Does that sound like what we're dealing with today? Am I right? What we have is we have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and we're going to put it together, and that's going to be my knowledge. And then, eh, I don't want that. I want this, that, and the other thing. And I'm going to put that together. And that's going to be my spirituality. Right? I mean, they got more flavors out there than Baskin-Robbins. You know what I mean? What do you want on your spiritual cone? I want a little bit of this one. That, that's where we're at. Any flavor you want, it's out there. And it's prevalent. You can, you can pick it up so easily. What I want to do for a few moments here is look at some excerpts from 2 Peter 2. It's, it's a lengthy passage, but I think that we can, we can um, uh, take a look and see what this has to say. And again, this is just parts of this passage. Um, you can see the Pew Bible number there, but if you want to look it up, that's fine. But I'm just going to go through some of these phrases. There will be false teachers among you. All right? <laughs> that's what Peter says. It's going to happen. This is about them, not about what's going to happen to them and different things like that. Secretly bring in destructive heresies. Deny the Lord. Many will follow their destructive ways. The way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Walk according to the flesh. That's what they do. Despise authority. They're presumptuous. They're self-willed. They speak evil of the things they do not understand. See, he talks about their character, their, their, their tactics, their motives, the damage they cause, and the judgment that awaits them all in this passage. But this is basically focusing on really what they're about and not so much the other things. Now, this next part is not going to take us real... Oh, I'm sorry. There's more. I forgot about that. Click two. So it says right here in my notes. Spots and blemishes carousing in their own deception while they feast with you. Wow. Just picture this for a moment. You're literally, if there's a false teacher among you in some way, shape, or form, they're having dinner with you, right? While they're espousing the things that they believe. 
They're deceiving you while they're fellowshipping with you. By the way, this is not like all of a sudden we're like, well, what about that person? It's, it's not, not we're about here, okay? Because, anyway, you, eyes full of adultery. You saw some of that even in Revelation, right? There was this enhanced view of sexuality. Cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They love the wages of right, unrighteousness. Look at this picture. Wells without water. They're helpful, aren't they? Large holes in the ground with nothing but dirt. When you need what? Something that sustains life. Rain clouds carried away by the wind. Those are helpful too. Anybody going to grow by that? No. They allure through the lusts of the flesh and they promise liberty, but are themselves slaves of corruption. Wow. Now, if, if we got an accurate picture of someone like that, we'd be like, I don't want any of that. But understand that multiple times what we see here is deceiving, deception, right? Wolves in sheep's clothing. In other words, you got to be discerning. You've got to understand what they're telling you. So now let's move forward, and this part won't take very long. I, again, this is an overview, but I want us to think about what are, what's the basis of false teaching? And I just want to give you a few principles here because they're going to come through in, 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 in studies um, coming ahead as we look at what Paul has already said to the Colossians and then, what, then how he treats this, this uh, error that is threatening them. The base of false teaching is this. First, there's an error regarding the humanity of Christ. These are the possibilities. There's an error regarding the humanity of Christ. Next, there's an error regarding the deity of Christ. False religions, false teachers, false philosophies, all, almost all, will attack one of those two things. They'll either attack the fact that he came bodily, died, and rose again bodily, or they will attack his deity. Or some combination thereof, which is the third option. And the other one, which is, again, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this, is simply altering the word of God. Right? Making terms that we use mean something that they don't. Have you ever, tell me this happened. Have you, have you ever talked to somebody and you're using words and they're like, uh-huh, yes, mm -hmm, yeah. And they don't mean anything like what you're saying. I mean, they don't even have to be religious terms. I'm just saying you're not speaking the same language because their understanding of that word or that phrase or that meaning isn't the same as yours. Well, that's the way we're talking about truth and error. But one of the things that they do is they use the same language. It just doesn't mean the same. One thing that I want us to understand and I think Paul makes a point of this, is that there is a mandate for overseers. That means pastors. When we talk about this idea of false teaching, what I want us to do is I want us to go back to the previous chapter and refresh our memories of Colossians 1.28. Christ we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And we, we discussed that obviously very recently. But here we see that Paul, the great apostle of the Gentiles, has two things that he thinks is very important. The first one is to warn. Warn as overseers of the church. But this was something that Paul also wanted to do, needed to do. It was something that was pressing for him as he preached. But as we think about that, um, he has. There, there's some other interactions that I want us to see. Acts chapter 20, verse 31 says there. Therefore, watch. Remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, let me give you the context here. The context here is a meeting Paul had with all of the elders of Ephesus as he was heading to Jerusalem. So he's heading to Jerusalem, and he's going to basically be charged 
with crimes. And he is going to say, I appeal to Caesar, which is then going to send him to Rome, which is where he's going to eventually die. So this is the last time that, that this church in Ephesus, that these, that these elders are going to be seeing him. Now remember, this is the same church that Epaphras had to have interacted with at some point from Colossae. Okay? So th- there is a connection to this book. And so now here he is passing through, and we see that he says, For three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, we talked about hyperbole last week. I'm not sure that it was every night and every day he was crying. But the point is this. He was consistently telling them, passionately, right? Watch. Be careful. Therefore, take heed. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, here they are again, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also for among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw the way the disciples after themselves. Folks, this happened wherever Paul planted a church. Right behind him were people saying, nah, no, no, no. We know better. We need to tell you this, right? Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Folks, he was warning them about false teaching. He's talking to the elders. He's telling them, pay attention. Be mindful. Shepherd God's church. Shepherding God's church includes protecting God's church. That includes protecting our young people as best as we can. We previously read from a couple of letters that Jesus dictated to the Apostle John the Revelation. Do you think it's possible? Now, we've got to set this up for a minute. Do you think it's possible that the church in Laodicea, which was a neighboring city, of Colossae, remember? They shared something. As a matter of fact, even in this context, what does it say? I have a burden for you and for the Laodiceans. Okay? So Jesus writes a series of seven letters to seven churches, and he says, I want all of you to read every letter. You with me now? Do you think it's possible that the church in Laodicea shared letters from these churches that passed through them with the Colossians. Think about that for a minute. How do you think possibly the Colossians might have reacted to the false doctrine that had invaded nearby churches after they had already received this letter? That's interesting, isn't it, to put that together? So, warn. Paul said that's his job Paul said that's the job of every elder. Warn. Warn the people. That's part of what we're going to be doing as we take a look at these next scriptures, meaning in future days. But the other aspect of that is doctrine. Teaching. And there's really two parts to that. There's just doctrine itself. We see in Timothy... Paul speaking to a young pastor, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Give attention to, right? Be mindful of the same word that we saw used before. What he's saying is, hey, I want you to be reading the word of God to your people. I want you to be encouraging them, and I want you to teach them. And then in 2 Timothy 3, very familiar verses, but again, Understanding the context in which we're talking about here, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Mature. What did we already say Paul's desire was? That every believer be mature. He's passing that baton on to the elders. 
And you say, well, good, I can check out. That has nothing to do with me. Do you have a responsibility in your homes? Do you have a responsibility? Do we all have a responsibility to one another in this church to help one another become grounded in Christ and growing in Christ? Of course we do. So he is told to give attention to doctrine or teaching. This simply means that pastors are to teach and our subject is the word of God. That's it. That doesn't mean we can't talk about anything else, but our subject and our teaching is the word of God. But I also want you to see um, an, an important word, an important uh, verse here. Titus 2.1. Again, Paul speaking, writing to another pastor. And he says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. The ESV says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine basically means healthy teaching, right? Healthy teaching, solid teaching. So Paul is instructing Titus to speak or teach what corresponds with healthy, healthy teaching. Understand, this accords with is an important phrase because we first looked at you need to teach. And you need to teach the word of God. But then this says what accords with Doctrine, what accords with teaching. This is the practical living out of what the scriptures say, of what the scriptures teach. Titus is being reminded to apply doctrine to life. Doctrine cannot be, should not be dry. It should not be academic. It should be something that we can take and that we can live out. Sound teaching must be practical teaching. That's what it means when we're talking about something that is in accord with sound doctrine. That we relate doctrine to life. Okay? Those are the two things that Paul says he needs to do. He needs to warn and he needs to teach. We warn and we teach and we make sure that we make application with our teaching. That is Paul's pattern for the church. Now, again, I mentioned this is an overview. As we conclude, um, I want to begin with the obvious. We need, to fault, we need to take false teaching seriously. We need to take it very seriously. In the church and in our homes and in society. Elders cannot let their guard down. Correcting false teaching isn't mean or petty or unloving. It is essential for the health of the flock. Do you understand that? It's essential for the health of the flock. Folks, I know our parents in this church. If you were in a room or if someone was in your home or however you want to put it and it was the situation was an immediate threat to your children what would you do you would do anything by all means possible to protect your child quite possibly giving your life for them if necessary false teaching is a direct, deadly threat to your children. False teaching is a direct, deadly threat to every person's spiritual life in this room. By all indications of what the scriptures have taught us, we will face false teaching. On a practical level, we really face it all the time, right? Not necessarily in the church, I would hope, but outside we do. Follow your dreams. Sometimes there are high schools, that is the senior's theme. Follow your dreams. I can't remember what mine was, it was lame. But anyway, everyone has the light within them. Does it sound familiar? Yeah. Be true to yourself. By the way, 
slightly tongue-in-cheek, this next phrase, but think about it. May the force be with you. (laughs) Think about it. That is a philosophy, folks. It's deceptive. Our focus must be on sound doctrine or accurate, healthy teaching about Christ, the gospel, and the word of God. Folks, that's all we have, and that's all they can attack us with. I mean, seriously. The word of God is what we stand on. That's the only thing that they can come against. And what do the scriptures say about what they bring against us? It's not going to stand. Well, it's not going to stand unless we don't stand. And individually we can get picked off. Don't let anyone cheat you out of what you have in Christ. I want to end this morning by leaving you with three relatively short illustrations from my life. Not because there's anything special about it, but because... There's a couple of things that have happened that are related to false teachers. And I'm just going to tell you right now, these are emotional stories for me. There was a pastor in my childhood that seemed to have all the right qualities as a pastor. Relatively handsome man, very well-spoken, a lot of energy, On and on we can go. Unfortunately, there are some people in this room that know exactly who I'm talking about. He sounded good. He acted good. But just like in this passage here, there was a lot revolving around his personality. And in the end he decided that he did not need his wife anymore and had an affair with the church secretary. That goes back to this idea of what's really in that mind and in that heart. He left a wake of pain that is still reverberating through people's lives today. As Kigers, we had a number of our family that were coming to the church And to this day, maybe not anymore, but man, it's been recent. They'll throw that pastor back in our face. Folks, he destroyed some people through his selfishness, through his covetousness. I would even say through his cunning. I had two youth pastors growing up. One was a phenomenal guy who I love to this day. The other one we had for one year, my senior year. We were without a youth pastor for eh, about a year, year and a half. I'm looking for mom and dad for a nod. Okay. And uh, then, then we brought in another youth pastor. And this is not hindsight, okay, folks. I'm just telling you flat out. There was just always something about him that just didn't quite click with me. I liked him. I I tried to follow him. I I was a senior at the time. As I said, uh, we had a very active youth group. Um, I don't know, 40, 40 some kids, something like that. And, and, you know, did a lot of things. And, and, you know, he came in, he had a lot of energy. He was, again, he was a good looking guy. Um, Very smart dresser. That was very important to him. Newly married. And uh, while they were there, he had his baby. And it, it wasn't too long before he left that, that um, it was soon before he left that, that they had their first child. So things started to, it seemed, crack. Some, some odd things started to happen. And then all of a sudden, he basically just said that he was leaving. Fast forward just a little bit. I'm in my first year of Bible college. My friend who went to our church, who went to BBC with me, went to Bible college with me, walks into my room and says, hey, 
Got some news. Pastor Tom left his wife and a brand new child and decided he wants to live with men instead. That affected me. I am responsible for every bad decision I made. But let me tell you something, I had a little help. Not until later in life was I able to look back and realize the impact that that had. In a former ministry, we had a pastor who just quite simply um, was succumbing to some burnout. He was struggling. The deacons and pastoral staff and others came around him. And just to, uh, by the way, wonderful, lovely man, okay? Great man of God. But he couldn't overcome some of the habit patterns that he had in the church that he was in, and it was just determined, and ultimately it was his decision that he just, he just needed to move on. And just recently retired from another 10 years of wonderful ministry, another church. But he, he just couldn't get out of the mold that he was in, in, in that church. In the meantime, there was a man who, by the way, when he first came to the church, said in his testimony that he had seen Jesus bodily. It's a little yellow flag flying there, folks, okay? He also kind of was a little proud about the fact that he had been kicked out of a couple other churches previously. Now, it's easy for me to say I wasn't really a part of the membership process. Even as a pastor, there was others that involved that. But regardless, I don't know. He, He had the right words and stuff. I don't know that I would have, you know, ixnayed him, so to speak. But let me just tell you this. He always had an air about him. He always felt like he was superior. He always had all the right answers. And then he saw his chance. Not, not, just, not just an individual, but he saw an entire church stumble. And when he saw us at our weakest, he attacked. And he got some other people to join with him. And I tell you today, it's only by the grace of God and by the faithfulness of our people that we didn't see some serious damage take place as a result of that. But it was a tough go. There were some difficult meetings. And there were some people that were led astray. One more quick story. There was another person that came to that church. I honestly can't remember if they became members or not, but I always found it odd that he never had his children involved in our children's ministries. We're talking for years. Just kind of kept to themselves, friendly, nice people, nice family. Then one day we catch wind that they're having meetings with some of the families in our church. They would have them over for dinner, and they would just talk. And they would talk about how, they would talk about what they believed. And what they believed was different than what we believed. And we lost a few families over that. And when he was confronted, you want to know what he said? He said, I always felt that I was a missionary to this church. 
You think about that for a minute. Our church was his mission field. No. Our church was his dinner plate. It's real and it hurts. It causes damage. And I'm just talking about a few instances in the church. How about the images that we're bombarded with on a daily basis? Folks, we've got to be vigilant. We need one another. And we need the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Can I just give you a gentle warning? If you find something in Scripture, I'm not talking about learning something new. If you find something in Scripture and it's not really normal, (laughs) be careful. Be careful with this idea that you've got something that maybe few other people really have. Be careful. Be careful for those who will teach you that way. They're not out for your good. Okay. Wow, it worked. I just started pressing buttons. I'm sorry. Um, what I want us to do right now in closing is stand and recite as a prayer Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Will you do that with me, please? I'll go ahead and lead you. Just pay attention, please, to the punctuation, and we'll go nice and easy so everybody can follow along. But I want this to be our closing prayer as we think about this idea that false teaching is a reality, and we need to be vigilant as individuals and as leadership. And young people, watch out. Trust your parents. Trust your church. But more than anything else, trust the Word of God for what it plainly, simply says. Let's begin. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.